I've seen you be a purifying fire. It is a hell of a thing. Oh, thank you, Paul. You've said, I mean, it's just one of the nicest things I've heard. <laughs> I'm more of like a purifying sweater. Hey, Richard, let's talk about enterprise software, something we do occasionally talk about on the show. First of all, let's define it first. Okay. We build software, we build products, and increasingly we work with larger and larger companies. And we build things that hundreds of thousands or millions of people might access. And yet I would not call us an enterprise software company, even though we work with very large organizations that often purchase a lot of enterprise software. So how would you explain the difference? Enterprise software is software you have to use or you'll get in trouble at your job. Or with the government. Like, I don't think people realize that these systems like SAP, like the really big ones, because they have encoded accounting systems, especially for like global supply chains. Yeah. It's almost impossible to go outside. Like, really, do you want to figure out Brazilian tax code enforcement in your, like, shipments of, of hex nuts? No. Really big companies need knowledge encoded in their system. And look, the, you are a captive user. It's not like you're going to go shopping around for a different app that's going to do the thing. You're going to do the thing. You're going to use the thing, and you're going to get good at it, as rough as it is, as unusable as it is, and versus the, the consumer software space, where, where in the consumer software space, A, it's competitive. So if you fail in your design, the user can go elsewhere. But more importantly, yeah. engagement drives everything with consumer apps, right? And so if the thing isn't, is too hard to use or requires you to open up a user manual, you're going to bail on it and you will bail on it. So the result is enterprise software is five to 10 years behind in terms of the importance of user experience vis-a-vis -vis consumer software. It's funny too, because you go, you're like, what is that? What are they all talking about? Especially because we're in some rooms where people are talking about their enterprise, whatever solution. Mm-hmm. Let's do a typical like consumer or, or classic B2B online sales process. The project is called Receiver. I don't know what it does, but I know that I need to get it. I Google Receiver, Receiver Accounting or whatever. And a page comes up and it tells me what it is. It tells me how much it costs. And then it usually shows me some screenshots and I can have an access to a demo and I can play with it. Maybe even a video and I can sign up for the newsletter and read blog posts. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty great. It's pretty, I don't have any doubts about what Receiver is going to do for me as a software as a service accounting project. Let me go for an enterprise solution, Receiver Enterprise or like Superceiver, which is a, you know, I don't know. It's a product of SAP. Nothing. A picture of three people from different parts of the world Give me shaking your hands. phone number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe Where I can download a white paper about yeah. account global accountancy supply chain advisory systems. Yeah. Yeah. And then a call to get in touch and really an assumption that I already know exactly what this is and why I need it. They're not going to tell me what this is. No, they're not. They want to talk to you, first of all. They're, they also want to see who you are as a decision maker because the purchase process and you 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 went right for the sales process process, right? Or the user acquisition process. And well, I think because it's so, this world is so confusing to sort of software civilians, right? You hear about these things and you're like, oh, well, let me go learn about them. 
And even their Wikipedia pages are impenetrable. You can't figure out what the hell they do. You can't. But you're touching on a trend that we've talked about in the past on this podcast, which is these days it's becoming, and Slack kind of led the way here, it's becoming really important to let people play and touch the thing because they become evangelists for your product within your company or within your organization, right? Product-led growth. Product-led growth, right? But the truth is, you know, we go into a lot of organizations And it's just the shittiest software you've ever seen. Like these are companies that have been refining this piece of software forever and keep refining it. And by refining, I mean caked on more features without really thinking too much about design. Talk the process a little bit, right? So what happens is you have seven factories and you need to manage how those factories sort of like communicated and, you know, shipped things to each other and who worked there. Raw material acquisition. You hired Deloitte. Yes. You hired a giant consulting firm 10, 15 years ago. And this is not to burn any particular firm, but you hired one of the big ones and they did exactly what they said they would do. Maybe it ran over, maybe not. And they delivered you the best possible system for that era. And it's now 15 years later. The operating system's old. The Java version is old. The database version is old. And the cost of updating and changing it is almost greater than any other cost that you have in your org. On top of that, since they launched it, they have been incrementally adding features to it, which is akin to, you ever seen those cars that just get like, they, they only bring them out during parades because they're so bizarre and there's just all kind they're ornamental. Oh, like and our cars. Yeah, where they like glue shells all over the car. <laughs> yeah. Like when we peer into a product that's been around for 10 years, we can see its history in the UX, right? You can see that on cloud utilities too, but it's profound when you get into this world. You can see that with all software, but boy, can you see it here. And then they'll tell you every shell, every shell is sacred on that car. Also, sometimes they'll say, I I had nothing to do with those shells. Those 10 on the back of the car, that was before my time. They're still here. Not sure why it does what it does. I have ideas as to why it does what it does, but it's there and we do have... There's a population of users in Arizona that swear by this feature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can't tell you why. And I'm not sure when they would, it was given to them. But it's there, right? You know, and I wrote an article a while back, backlog-driven development. That's right. Okay. What was your big point? My big point was you've got two funnels that come into product. One is through sales and sales losses. They keep telling me they want this feature. I'm not going to, they don't want to go with us. They're going to go with... Acme Inc. because we don't have this feature, right? And it keeps coming back. Sometimes software reacts immediately. It gets ticketed. It goes right from like bad sales outcome, lost the deal to Jira ticket, Mm. right? Okay. That's one source, right? The other is customer, which is the more prevalent one. We have American Express as a customer. They're about to renew the license. They ask for these six things and they are bizarre and they're weird and they're incredibly specific, incredibly mm-hmm. prescriptive. It's a big contract. So we're going to put those in there as well. So what you end up with is this Jira that's like a product of an LSD trip, right? It's just this, no one's bothered to distill down how a product should evolve. Even more than normal. Even more than normal, exactly. So what you end up with essentially is our, our engineering teams and, and designers sometimes chewing through backlog, and you see it, right? Our HR platform, oh, yeah. which I'm not going to run through the mud, you could see. No, you, you, the features. You see features. 
So you end up with enormous debt. And people, when they say technical debt, they oftentimes they mean, well, it's getting really expensive to maintain. But I think there's another dimension to technical debt, which is a product that is unwieldy to users, that adds steps, that adds complexities, that requires more training. That's debt as well, right? And the reason that exists is because you don't have that product intermediary who is taking all of those inputs that shouldn't be taken literally and translating them into a, a real product strategy. That is the fatal error in enterprise design. That is enterprise, right? So you know what's fascinating to me? So then there is, there's kind of a world that we live in, which is what can five to 10 people do for me over six months to a year? That is post-light, right? Like yes. what, what can we get done? We got to reboot this. You're not going to hire us to build on top of your Oracle platform. Like, and, and just like, you're just probably no. not like you could, but you know, eh, so yeah. why there is a zone in the middle. Okay. So there's us and then there's enterprise. And then in the middle, it's almost like accidental enterprise, like Slack, where they just built a good chat tool, but it actually, because it was about work, yeah. it just kind of kept going and going and going. And then what happens is everybody freaks out. Like Microsoft is like, well, we need our own Slack. We're going to have to drop it in there. And then, you know, are there Microsoft like, Teams? Oh, Teams, right? We got to get in there. But see, what kills Microsoft every time is that they're going to integrate it with Office a little more closely than anybody else could. Of course. Of course. <laughs> it's just this tar pit. It's like the woolly mammoth just sinking into the tar every time. Because <laughs> they're just, oh, well, you know, everybody, Excel. And they're, they're not wrong, right? In that hundreds of millions of people end up using Teams and whatever the name of the file storage network thing that is that they 365 or whatever. And then there's, oh God, I'm blanking on everything. But Slack just kind of backed into being an enterprise company. It's not set up to be an enterprise software company. They don't have teams of no. salespeople to fly out where everyone is named Mike. Yep. And no, <laughs> it, can, it, it actually caught a lot of the typical buyers of software, of enterprise software flat-footed because they, they would look over. At first it was like, okay, wait, we got to block this. It's a 2,000 person company, 130 people in HR. All of HR is using some tool to chat. It's crazy. Like they're, they're literally putting employment contracts in there. This is, no, this is unacceptable. We've got to stop it. It's not about, about the number of people because this isn't about democracy. It's about who becomes an advocate for it. When a VP becomes an advocate for a tool that came in and it's like, wow, this is really easy to use. I didn't need to call Stan in IT to get it going. Right. That's your accidental enterprise right there is when executive leaders are using the tool because it allows them to be more effective and have more control over their their org. That's right. IT will pry it out of their damn hands. There is not a chance that that VP is going to give up Slack if the VP thinks that Slack is helping them manage their team more effectively and have more control over their world. Make it work. Well, IT comes in and is like, hey, you know, we didn't really go through the process with Slack. I see a lot of risks there. And the VP thinks, I want to go to the Four Seasons. <laughs> right? like, don't. Yeah. What, yeah. what are you doing? No, and look, there are some places where like for regulatory, like banking, like Slack's got a steeper hill when it comes to like re like highly regulated sectors and whatnot. But I, I, I'm not going to name the publisher, but there was a publisher. They literally woke up one day and 12,000 people we're using Slack. Yep. Uh, and and it was over. Like that it was just okay, I guess we'll have to live with this. And you know, for a very long time Slack was free. Slack was investing essentially uh, and letting people become addicted to the platform. Well, no, I mean I think the point I would make there too is API access always really easy with Slack. Always, right? And so 
instead of trying to take on, and I don't think this was even anybody's idea. It's like, all right, we have this giant enterprise system. It's SAP. It does. We do HR through it and we do our ERP planning and we do, it has a publishing module and so on and so forth. What's happened, and this is always the deal with the web, is that you'd have these APIs and you kind of glue together just enough software mm-hmm. in order to have your stuff solved, right? The hard part with that, the fantasy, is that a sort of central coordinating framework would emerge magically as you glue stuff together. It turns out that's not the case, right? right. You can end up with a lot of pieces loosely joined, and then you just end up with a lot of pieces loosely joined. Yes, But if you do the product work and you get stuff in the middle, instead of spending tens of millions of dollars, you can spend tens of million dollars in ongoing licensing fees (laughs) on a per user basis without clear knowledge, which is what the kind of that middle tier does. It's really, they'll get you. And look, we talk about product management a lot on this podcast as if it is like the way the world works. There are still many, many, many organizations where the idea and the mindset of product leading the way is not in place. Like we've seen it. In fact, at Postlight, we bring it to places where it's just called, it's not a fault of anyone. It's just culturally hasn't been installed. It just was never really part of the thinking. And so we bring that. Bring bring this home, Rich. Bring this enterprise software podcast home. So here's the here's the rub, Paul. Sometimes you know what the right thing is, and you've got the leadership, and leadership wants to make the change. But here's what ends up happening. Platforms like this, enterprise software, it's been around for 10, 12 years, breeds expertise that becomes very rigid, very stubborn, and very defensive about what it is and their expertise and their understanding of this one in a billion species that they have nurtured over the years. Like it's it's their it's it's theirs. It is not there by mistake. It really breeds expertise that wants to go home at 5.30 and doesn't want to answer a lot of emails about some new platform, (laughs) right? No, I'm serious. Like, it's just when you're in that environment, when you go talk to those people. very hard, very hard to dislodge it. Their job is very, very structured. And so you're coming in with a lot of change and they're like, this is actually a form of madness. You're not seeing clearly because you're about to take something that's utterly organized, structured, and predictable and introduce unbelievable amounts of risk, which also happen to utterly screw up my ability to run my own life and have my own schedule. This has been labeled transformation in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways because evolution, you know, there's before the dinosaurs and after the dinosaurs, like it, you know, we didn't evolve out of it. It's not evolutionary because people dig in and the inertia of the existing platform is too strong. So this whole notion of digital transformation, meaning do you have the guts to uplift the whole thing, right? That's the challenge that's put in front of thought leaders and business leaders is like, do you are you ready to really modernize, right? Like banks for a long time, you had, they had to be led the way, right? Like there was one bank, mm-hmm. I think it was like, I think it was Cap, either Capital One or Bank of America or one of those were like, you know, we're gonna let you deposit checks on your phone. Done deal. We're going to do it. You needed one player to do that. And then everyone else was like, well, you can't, you can't. Pop. But then they saw the competition do it and it was over, right? That mobilizes you quicker than anything. So like, I don't give a shit if you don't understand how you're going to deposit checks on a phone. You're going to deposit checks on a phone. They're taking money. We're going to take the money. Well, you know, the, the great thing people say too is like, nobody really wants that, right? It's all fine until that one boss like sees their nephew do it. And competition is a, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, why aren't we doing it? So 
we live inside of the middle. Like we're in the middle of all of this, Paul. I mean, this is this is. Well, I think literally, literally in the middle. No one's calling us to do their enterprise, blah blah blah, for eight bazillion dollars over the next six thousand years, right? Nor are they calling us to to build that one feature on top of the old legacy system. They're asking us to to rethink things, right? To step back and rethink things, and that's you're seeing that more and more today, right? Like you're seeing people understand that to really take it to the next level, you have to step back. You can't, it can't be evolutionary. Uh, there really is a sense too, I get this just from being part of, of conversation with people who might engage with us of just, you seem like smart people. Can you get in a room and help us with this, right? Because it, it, it's gotten so rigid and so complicated. It needs to get unlocked kind of from first principles. People need to figure out what they actually want to do. And then the new way of doing this is to glue together three or four systems and, you know, put something in the middle that lets you coordinate it. And that I was joking earlier, but I mean, that usually costs about a tenth as much as the big enterprise system after you get it all set up. Yeah, that's the other rub, right? Like, which is mm, that you often so good that if you do it right, you shouldn't be, you know, shoveling globs of money to get this done. It does not necessarily. Extremely, extremely efficient, effective sales organizations kind of tend to destroy their own companies because there's just that point where it costs one eighth as much. And they're mm-hmm. like, no, no, nobody wants that. Don't worry about it. And then then a purifying fire runs through the company about two years later. So speaking speaking of purifying fires, I mean, Postlight is a digital <laughs> strategy design and engineering firm. <laughs> that uh, is right. Lots of great clients. You can check us out at postlight.com. Reach out at hello at postlight.com. Check out MailChimp.com slash developers, the recent work we did that we're very proud of. Yeah. Helping MailChimp drive their developer outreach forward and get their docs into sort of sort of beautiful app style sheet. So, but yeah, if you need us, you know where to find us. We love you. Everybody stay safe out there or in there. Have a great week in or out. (laughs) That's right. Take care. All right, let's get back to work. Bye. Bye.